And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. Welcome to Toys on Tap. This is usually a Thank podcast you. about toys and toy makers. And there's, I will tell you that there is a toy that came out that inspired me to find you and invite you on. Uh, there's a, a okay. guy. Yeah, his, his name, uh, I think he's a, a toy maker or a toy 3D sculptor in Mexico. And he right. created this yeah. job of the hut that opens up and it has three characters inside controlling him. I... I- I've seen a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's an original one. That's a new one on me. That yeah, it's beautiful. So uh, we usually start. Would you like to introduce yourself so people know who you are and what you do? Okay, it's it's all a long time ago, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. My name is Toby Philpot. Um, the the main thing that I'm known for is Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi, but I didn't plan to be a puppeteer or an animatronics operator or anything um it, it just fell in my way during the 70s i was a juggler magician street performer acrobat and all, mm-hmm. you know just i didn't want a straight job and uh so i would have have a go at anything and uh, after a few years of that and that included s- stunts stage fighting mime mask work and all sorts um, my mime teacher pointed out that there was an advertisement in uh, the trade paper mm-hmm. for people to operate big creatures for the Muppets. Now, I thought it was going to be the Muppet show. I didn't know. It turned out to be the Dark Crystal, the movie. Oh, wow. And um, in that movie, the creatures are, they're a whole new thing. They've, mm-hmm. you know, they've done Big Bird and stuff like that, but they had never done um, creatures that breathe and blink and you know, move they often need three or four people to operate them. So the advertisement was very vague. It didn't say trained puppeteers. It said uh, acrobats, dancers, mimes, uh, you know, to operate big creatures. They were just fishing, really. (laughs) And hundreds of people turned up. And um, you obviously couldn't audition because you don't arrive with a puppet. So um, what they did was kind of run a workshop. They, They would bring us in in 20 at a time. They would have a few masks and gloves and bits and pieces lying around. And then they would get us to improvise creatures. Um, well, I was in my element, of course, because I've been doing mime and clowning and you know, all that stuff. So although I wasn't a puppeteer, um, I got through the audition. It was a long process, but they went down to 50, then 20 and 10. So on. But uh, they finally picked us. So my first experience of big creatures was operating um, the big creatures for Dark Crystal. Uh, that that included uh, mystics, Gotham, and and so on. Um, 
And that led the next movie that was going to be made in the same studio was Return of the Jedi. And uh, it led to me getting the job. I didn't audition for that one. I got called in and, and asked if I'd like to do this big creature. And I thought, of course, that it was going to be another background big creature, the same as in The Dark Crystal. But I didn't know he was going to be on the screen for 20 minutes and that he would dominate the whole first <laughs> half of the movie. And even worse, I hadn't seen the first two Star Wars movies. I mean, I, I didn't have any kids. I was busy most evenings because I, I worked uh, not just in the streets, but I also did medieval banquets at Court Jester yeah. and all that sort of thing. And I just, I'd heard about them, of course, because the first two films were very famous, but I hadn't found my way to the cinema. You know, they, we didn't have DVDs. We didn't have uh, films on TV. You had to go to the cinema for these things. Yeah. So the first thing I did when I got the job was to go and find a cinema showing a double bill of the first two Star Wars and went in there, full Dolby sound, big screen. Well, you imagine I sat there for four hours, completely startled by it all, going, I'm going to be in the next one. <laughs> that's, that's the job that I'm known for. But it isn't just me. Uh, Jabber is quite a complicated puppet. And um, basically, there are two people inside him, sometimes three. Mm -hmm. And then there are one or two people outside with radio controls, the eyes and so on. And for certain shots, you might have seven, eight people working. An absolute minimum was three. Um, the two of us, uh, me doing the left arm and the head and the tongue, and Dave Barkley doing the right hand and the mouth and all the, all the dialogue in English, because all that was dubbed later on, all the putties was added later. Yeah. But... Um, and then someone radio controlling the eyes. So three is a minimum, absolute minimum. If we had a wide shot, we'd have a third guy in behind us waving the tail around. Mm. Sometimes there were people under the stage. It just depended, you know, but it's, uh, it, if you, if you, when I go to conventions, people want to buy a signed photo, okay? But if, if you sign a full Jabber photo, you need 11 people. Oh to, my gosh. Because you've got Phil Tippett designed it. But Freeborn was the team leader in England. He has a crew of six, so that's eight people. Then there's three puppeteers, that's 11, okay? Now, that's just a basic, because in post-production, you've got Ben Burt doing the sound, um, Howie, Howie uh, Hammerstein doing the burp. Oh. You know, you, you've got the rustling noises. I mean, you could get up to 15 if you wanted to absolutely everybody involved. Yeah. So I do feel a small part of it. I mean, I'm an important part, but I'm only a small part of him, you know. Um, but, but it doesn't go away. That That's the most famous job I did. <laughs> <laughs> What's, so I have a couple, um, uh, like, questions and stories. Yeah. I had to read up on it because I was so interested in the idea that so many people would be playing one character in Star Wars. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Sure. You worked on The Dark Crystal. Yeah. And I remember watching that as a kid. And one of the biggest points of tension between my mother and I when I was a child is I yeah. would run around making the noises of the Skeksis. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so she would be so upset. Like she would be talking to me and I would just make weird noises and she would be like, okay, no more movie, no more Dark Crystal. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, some of, some of the voices are done by the Muppet. Uh, puppeteers uh -huh. um some of them are dubbed because both jim and frank felt their voices were so familiar that um although jim did jen 
for the movie he actually, you know, when he was shooting, mm-hmm. he, he, he got a new voice put on afterwards because he just thought his, his vocal range wasn't big enough to, mm-hmm. to do something completely different. He was trying to get rid of the Muppet sensation, as yeah. you can imagine. But, um, yeah, the Chamberlain is definitely Frank Oz, all that, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's still Frank. Yeah. But each of the Skeksis is, again, it's about a four-person puppet, usually. Yeah. Um, basically, the puppeteer is doing head and one hand, and he would have someone doing the other hand in his armpit. Um, then you've got a couple of people kneeling behind, radio controlling the eyes and the, you know, or ears, or even uh, pulses in the throat, all kinds of bits and pieces. So... Uh, it was quite hilarious. Below the stage, even if there's just two Skeksis talking, you've got eight or ten people working. And uh, so as well as doing the big creatures, we each each of us uh, body puppeteers got assigned to crew um, with the main Muppet people. Wow. And uh, somehow I got on Jim Henson's team. I, I don't quite know how. I, I don't think I was super talented. I <laughs> maybe he got last pick, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe he got it. But uh, it's also a temperamental thing, you know, the, 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 the more loud and boisterous um, yeah. American puppeteers want someone of the same rhythm, as you can imagine. It, it, if you're going to be doing this, one of the hands like this. Yeah. You need, and um, Jim picked me and Robbie Barnett, who's another quite Buddhist vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because we didn't get much training. You know, most of the puppet, um, most of the Muppet people were, were rehearsing all the time while they're doing lighting and things. Well, Jim's directing the movie. So as well as doing his own creatures, he's also checking the lighting, checking the scene, you know. And and Robbie and I would just stand patiently and wait. And then when Jim, Jim was ready, he would climb in and say, OK, fellas, we're going to do this. Here we go. And we would be off. And uh, it was quite an ordeal by fire, really. We, if you imagine, I had never really done puppets and I'd never really done film. Yeah. Um, we were thrown in the deep end. But Jim was such a wonderful, um, first of all, a wonderful teacher. So in, all his suggestions worked beautifully. But he was also very calm. He never, he never told me I'd done something wrong. He would just um, suggest I did something in a different way. You know, it, maybe it would be better if, you know, no, he never ever said, oh, you know, and you imagine on a film, it's expensive. You have to do a retake. It costs an awful lot of money and everyone has to reset and mm-hmm. all that. So I slowly got over the panic. Um, it was a bit panicked the first few days. Yeah. <laughs> but then we just calmed down because Jim and Frank's principle was to generate a, a happy and creative atmosphere on the set because I don't know how, but. Uh, film and TV cameras capture this stuff. If you're nervous, it shows and mm-hmm. even shows through a puppet. So you, you can tell when you watch the original Muppet shows how much fun everyone's having. And that was the whole point was it comes through the camera and you, you know, you'd want to run away and be a Muppet, wouldn't you? I mean, we, you know, like, yeah. like running away to join the circus, everyone wanted to be in the Muppet show. All the, yeah. all the star actors would, would volunteer to go and get teased by the Muppets. Uh, and that was the atmosphere, just generating a, an atmosphere where you could do your best rather than one where you were scared of getting it wrong, you know, yeah. especially because on Dark Crystal, they'd never done anything like it. And the only thing similar had been Yoda, which Frank Oz had done with Stuart Freeborn, who was the guy who helped build Java. Um, so George Lucas and Jim Henson were quite close. They were working together. 
Um, although it wasn't actually Jim Henson's creature shop that built Yoda. It was a very small group of people um, doing these things. Mm -hmm. And um, I think after the success of Yoda, because, you know, he was astonishing. I mean, you, you never think it's a puppet. You never think it's a little man in a mask. Yoda is just alive. Yeah. And that was so wonderful that I think they decided to do the Dark Crystal as kind of an almost a showcase of what else you could do with the same technology, with the same um, modern fabrics and modern methods. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone even further now. The, mm -hmm. the Dark Crystal they make for TV, you can use green screen to hide the puppeteers and all that sort of stuff. Whereas um, in 1980 or whatever, whenever we're doing the Dark Crystal, we were using very primitive technology. You know, a blinking eye would be a, one of those camera releases. You know, like a like oh. like, like like a like the brakes on a on a bike. It's, it's yeah. just a, a tube with a wire that goes up and down. So you'd be going blink blink. And nowadays <laughs> it's all radio controlled, and you know. But uh, so everything was very primitive, and everything was being made up um, for the film. The workshop behind Dark Crystal and behind Jabba was extraordinary. I mean, going and watching these guys devising systems, you know, like the mystics, for instance, have fingers with two more joints on the end. So we're wearing a kind of glove and there are um, cables up the back, like mm. the tendons on your fingers. So when you turn our fingers, the, the fingers, the extensions would also move like that and you could point and things. So every little detail is, is um, ironed out, you know, when, when we're making that film. I mean, it's, it's never been repeated, not not quite like that. Um, it was an amazing thing to be um, uh, dropped into, you know, <laughs> by <Yeah>. life. <laughs> so, uh, and which is incredible. I didn't know about the fingers. I didn't know about how many people it took for each. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my! We're doomed! Wait! Salvation! Hooray! We're saved, DLP2! Limited edition custom artist-made action figures and DKE Toys! Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE! Uh, so, Jim Henson as a, a person, um what do you remember him fondly as like training you to get ready for yeah yeah doing everything yeah i mean he he was the boss and he was not yeah. only the boss on this film but he's the boss of the whole um the whole uh, empire that he ran you know yeah. um so i didn't chat to him a lot you know I, i'd leave him to his own thoughts and he was a very quiet person and he um but I was very close to him, you know, as, as I said, I, I was stuck in his armpit half yeah. the day, just doing the other hand. Um, so we were, we were very near him, but it, he was, um, he was first of all, very generous, mm -hmm. as I say, uh, to other people um, in kind, just uh, expecting, I did ask him, you know, how, how I chatted occasionally and it, he said, I hire the best people I can get, and then I trust them to get on with doing the thing that I've asked them to do. You know, I mean, he would then delegate. You know, mm -hmm. There aren't many bosses who completely delegate like that. 
And he would just go back into the workshop every now and then and, and assess what's going on. So much the same on the film set. He just trusted people to do their bit. And um, there were things like, just to give you an idea of how loved he was, um, unions are very tight. You know, if, at, 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 at six o'clock in the evening, they pull the plug and, um, you know, you finished. And if you go one minute over, they will charge another hour. That, that's that's how it works. So um, we were doing a scene and we almost got it right, but we just wanted to do one more take. And it was about five to six. And Jim was going, oh, if we don't do it now, we're going to come in in the morning. It's going to take two hours to set up the lights and, you know, and, uh, start all over again. So he got a, he got a megaphone out and he, he addressed the set. He said, listen, guys, we haven't quite got time to do it. I want to do one more take but it's nearly six o'clock. Um, I can't really afford to pay, you know, there's 150 people there. He said, we can't really afford to pay another hour for everybody. Would you all be willing to just give it one more try and then we'll walk away? And everyone said, yes, that's everyone. That, that's, the, that's the carpenters, electricians, you know, the nurse, the tea lady, yeah. the puppeteers. <laughs> we all were so excited that we were nearly there yeah that that we did another take now and you can't tell your unions okay that means everyone's <laughs> going to just pretend it didn't happen yeah uh, that's very weird uh, it, it just wouldn't happen anywhere else everyone else would claim their hour you know and, and it, the trade-off for that was that uh, about a week later at lunchtime jim invited us all out to a restaurant and uh said we're all going to go to the restaurant for lunch not not the one in the studio, but you know, one up the road. So we all went up there and um, had our lunch, and maybe even a glass of wine or something, you know. But mm -hmm. and of course, then it's getting near time to be back on the set, and we were all starting to jitter because we, you know you have to be there on time, and that's very important. And we were beginning to go, oh, who's paid for what? And Jim just got a, a gold credit card out and went bang like that. Um, Don't rush, guys. You know, there's no hurry. I'll see you back on the set. And walked away, just paid for everyone's lunch. And uh, so you, you get both sides of it. Do you, you see what I mean? Yeah. The, the trade-off of uh, kindness and thoughtfulness. And, and uh, we, we'd have done anything for him, you know what I mean? It just He was such a lovely guy. So we are um, coming in on that main event, the Java suit, and I've yeah. read some stuff about it. Yeah. Um, so I have uh, some quick questions about it. One sure. of the things said that, the team that would operate Java mm. sometimes be inside of Java for like nine hours a day. We we didn't get out very often because first of all, it's, it was hard to get out. Yeah, the the whole set was built high, partly because there was a ranker pit that had to you had to be able to fall into, uh -huh. and partly so puppeteers could hide under the stage and if needs be come up through the floor. Uh -huh. You know, have a hole in the floor and a puppet on top. So we used to climb in from underneath and okay. up through a hole in the bottom of Jabba. And then I had a little seat to sit on where I could swing the body around uh, and I'd put my arm into the sleeve. Dave would climb up, just put a board over the hole and he would be standing with his right hand uh, going in. And once we were in the sleeves, it was a bit hard to walk away. I mean, you could relax, but you, you couldn't, e couldn't easily take your arm out. You had to have some addresser on the outside, hold on to it and pull it so that, you know, 
So we more or less were kind of trapped like that. <laughs> we, fair, fairly restful. And the inside hand was going to do work when we were shooting. Mm-hmm. But essentially, we were kind of there. You know, um, it was a bit hard to walk away. And also, because we hadn't had much practice, he wasn't, Jabba wasn't completed and painted and everything until literally days before the shooting. I mean, they were beginning to panic, you know, is, is he going to be ready? Because he, the whole scene revolves around him and we mm-hmm. can't do many pickups. And, um, so we hadn't really practiced very much and we hadn't had Muppet practice. With the Muppets, you see, we would have had um, cameras inside, uh, a camera outside so we could see the puppet and then monitors inside so we could watch what we were doing. Well, yes, on Dark Crystal, that's what we had as far as possible. But uh, and nowadays, you could have a pinhole camera and a little tiny, beautiful screen like your phone, you know. Yeah. But in 1982, we had big, clunky monitors hanging off our chest. They were about, I don't know, they were about a foot long. They were about four inches square. And all we had was a little grainy black and white image of Jabba from a camera up in the ceiling. It, it wasn't even the shot yeah. you know, that we were in. Just So we couldn't see the creatures we were uh, talking to, for instance. We could just see ourselves. Helped to synchronize the hands a bit and things, but that's about all. So you, you, you've got to imagine that not having rehearsed very much, the easiest thing for us was to stay inside while people were uh, acting and, and, and doing lights and things. And we would, we would rehearse. We would just practice. The guys outside were on a walkie-talkie with headphones, mm-hmm. and they were doing the eyes. So if, if I turn the head to, to one side, for instance, if you leave the eyes behind, it means one thing. If the eyes go with it, it means something else. Or you can turn the head and look back. Or, you know. mm-hmm. So we had to start coordinating those things, which we'd learnt on Dark Crystal. They were also telling us the overall look of Jabba, because you imagine that there's a hard shell of fiberglass, mm-hmm. then there's a rubber airbag, then there's a latex skin. So if we do little gestures like this, they go, ah, nah, nah. You've got so we were doing everything gigantic uh, for it to get through, for, for the performance to get through this thing. We were flinging ourselves around inside. <laughs> uh, they go, yeah, that's good. You know, do a big laugh and whoa, whoa, and bouncing around on the springs. Um, so, and, and part of that as well, part of another trick that we got from Jim Henson, again, um, the puppet master, was that we said to the director, don't talk to us like a team of puppeteers, please just talk to Jabba. Don't say, Toby, can you move the left hand or whatever. Um, talk to Jabba as though he's an actor. You know, just pretend you've got Marlon Brando in front of you and say, I want you to be angry. I want you to turn and shout at him or, you know, just tell us the, the direction for the character and then we will practice the bits and pieces that we need to do and talk to each other. So we had Richard Markland um, talking to us, you know, like a, like a real person. And we were, okay, you know, we would actually <laughs> be talking back to him yeah. as part of the practice. And uh, it got so good that at one point, Richard Markland was said to us, so, Jabba, could you look this way? And we had to say, uh, we can't actually see out of these eyes, uh, you know, because he's standing in front of us pointing like this. We have no idea. You can't see him, as you know. Yeah. Um, but we'd fooled him. At that point, he was talking to us as though we were real, which was, you see people interviewing Kermit the Frog, and you, Jim's not a ventriloquist or anything, but people talk to the puppet. They don't talk to the puppeteer. You don't look down and go, um, you know. Yeah. 
and it's part of the magic of puppets is that you do that. So, uh, yeah, Jabba was alive on set, and we, you know, when Carrie Fisher arrived, we, "Good morning, Miss Fisher." You know, we would actually be alive, <laughs> yeah. which really helps the other actors. If you think about modern green screen, where people are acting in in a in a vacuum, and then that whole performance is, is added later, it's quite difficult. Yeah, with us, if if the actor changed the de- the rhythm of the delivery that they made, then we would react react and d- deliver it back. You know, you're actually acting live with someone, and that's a different process. That so you know, so yeah. funny that people would walk in and Jabba's the one that's waving. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, if if we knew they were there, that, as I say, yeah. the problem was that that you asked it, how long did we stay inside? What? We came up for tea breaks and lunch and stuff. But um, there was one time I came out and went for my coffee and this guy came over, the security guy came over and said, I'm sorry, sir, this is a closed set. I mean, I'm inside. <laughs> He'd never seen my face before. Right? Yeah. That's how that's how little we were around. Because most people on the set, obviously, you, you they're quite close and you get to know people. Um, wow. But, yeah, so uh, it, it was an interesting job, but we didn't socialise much. I've, I've only met most of the... Uh, ec- 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 Entourage, surely. Mm. I won't call the extras. The entourage of puppeteers and so on that were in the in Jabba's palace. I've only really met them at conventions. You know, when we were filming, I, I hardly saw anybody. So wow. there you go. Yeah. So I have uh, two movement questions about Jabba. Yeah. The one um, when he eats the frog-like creature, and then mm-hmm. the one where he licks Leia's face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, you well, controlled both of those, correct? I'm doing that. Yes, that's me. <laughs> so what was that dynamic like? Because if it has to be so large and boisterous, how do you do both of those? Well, the frog one was complicated. First of all, there's a live frog in the hooker. I don't know if you know, there was a, from the zoo, they had a really big, uh, I don't know, tropical frog. So in wide shots, you'll often see it moving around, and it, it is a real frog. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, I'm not going to pick a real frog up. So they had a rubber frog. Um, it was actually a rather ordinary frog-looking one. In the close-up, when you see a, a proper Tatooine um, paddy frog, it's a completely different thing. That you know, the, it doesn't match actually. Yeah. But don't look too closely. <laughs> um, so in, in uh, you know, on the day, I'm reaching out of shot with my with my uh, now. This is not Star Trek, by the way. The, um, Jabba has three fingers like this. Okay. Um, and, I, and I'm in a big rubber glove. So I reach out a shot and someone hands me a frog. One of the guys hands me this frog. And I bring it up, wiggling it slightly. Um, I've turned the head to look down while I'm reaching down. And then I'm setting the head back up as I bring the hand up. Dave opens the mouth. I shove the frog in. Um, he starts chewing, and while he's chewing, I'm getting my hand inside the tongue to lick the lips. Okay. So it's, it was a little bit like this kind of game, you know, yeah. uh, um, tricksy sort of thing to do. But we only had a few practices. And, of course, the first time um, we did it, it, it was sort of okay, but we didn't really know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the mouth is full of this gunk, this slimy stuff. The, the, the guys who built Jabba used to mix up a bucket of this stuff every morning and paint it into it so his nose is dribbling and the mouth's dribbling. Right? So the, the second time, the frog was covered in slippery stuff, so that didn't help. So <laughs> I'm, I'm handed that and it's like soap in the bath, you know. It's like, yeah. 
Uh, and I, so on the second one, I shoved the frog in and I'm so busy kind of trying to get my hand into the tongue that I just did that. And we hear cut, cut, cut. Apparently when I put the frog in, I'd left the leg sticking out so that when Dave was chewing, the leg was like this. And they went, no, 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 no. You've got to get the frog right in, right in the mouth. They said, it's too disgusting. And I thought, Jabber eating. How could he be too disgusting? Surely that's great. You know, like the little yeah. frog wiggling going. Yeah. Sounded good. But, you know, you, you do what you're told on a film set. Yeah. <laughs> so on the last, on the third take, um, when I put the frog in, I make sure the leg's down. And, you know, you'll see that that's the shot that, you know, next time you watch it, you'll you'll see the hand just checking that the legs down. <laughs> Some of those things, we would rehearse them a bit. But you imagine the whole film set's waiting for you, all of them, the whole entourage, all the lighting mm. guys. All the, you've got 100, 150 people waiting for you to get it right. So no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, rather similar. But, but the licking layer thing, it's one of those stories that went round because uh, I've never heard for sure. I've never seen the outtakes. Okay. So I've never known for sure whether I was whether this happened. <laughs> when 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 hand comes out of the carbonite mm -hmm. and the, the mooring guards grab uh, Leia and bring her over to Jabba, I was told to stick the tongue out and wiggle it in a in a kind of you know nasty way, um, and she's going Ugh, like that. Um, so on the first take, I, I I did that. I pushed it out as far as I could. And, I, and they, the guards obviously could move, carry in and out to get her in the right place. So we did one and they said, yeah, yeah, okay, go again. And then I heard Richard Marquand in my, just in my headset, uh, breaking the rule about talking to Jabba. He said, Toby, I said, yes. He said, uh, can you get it any further out? I went, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I can try. Have you warned Carrie Fisher that, you know, that I'm going to change what we rehearsed? He went, no, no, I just want a natural reaction. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Tap to bring you this. Whoa, look at this place. Hello, and welcome to Fortress of Solitude, Toys and Games. Yo, Hero Dude, what's going on? Well, I'm your guide for Premier Independent Toy Store here in Northeast Texas. Well, that stuff is new and vintage bootlegs, art toys, action figures, pins, statues, board games, classic video games, and all kinds of pop culture ephemera. Oh, he's right. Look at shirt over there. Ooh, you found our always growing line of awesome swag that we work with our friends and indie artists to create. Wait, what is this? Place? Where is this, anyway? Well, young squire, you're at the Fortress of Solitude Toys and Games, located at 1102 North Washington in Mount Pleasant, Texas, or online at fortresstoys.com. Fortresstoys.com! Who is that guy? I don't know. He's like a hero or something. But wait! If you act now using code YUCKO for 20% off anything in store on your first order, or if you subscribe to the mailing list, you can get a free shipping for the rest of the year. So all this is whispered in my ear, right? <laughs> <laughs> so here we go again, really, action. And I push it right out. And I hear cut. So, okay, yeah, okay. And they go, yeah, we're going to go again. Not, not quite so much this time. And that's all I'm hearing, you know, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So we do a third take and then they go, right, that's it. And it was only afterwards that I said to somebody on the set, I said, um, what happened on the second take? And you licked her face, you stuck the tongue in the ear or something. Now, the thing is, without seeing that outtake, I don't know if the guy who told me that was winding me up or... <laughs> 
And stupidly, I never, ever at a convention managed to get to Carrie Fisher and say to her, just out of interest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I will never know. Because now it gets quoted as, he licked her face. Well, I go, yeah, I was told I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, as, a, as you're acting and, and, and uh, performing as Java, uh, between the scene when you're in Java's palace versus yeah. the scene when it's on the sail, the barge yeah. thing, is that two yeah. separate Java costumes? No, it's the same costume, but it's moved into another set. Okay, so you're still familiar with everything. Oh, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, he, he was a very expensive and very unique item. Um, he, couldn't, he couldn't walk around, which mm -hmm. George was disappointed by because you know, he, he wanted an animatronic that, that could move. Mm -hmm. Actually, I quite like the fact that Jabba obviously has to be carried around by slaves. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's quite obvious he can't move, really. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, he had to be redressed uh, twice. Once... Um, because Jabba's palace was actually there. It was, it was a three-dimensional set. So when he's on the dais that for the main shooting part over the ranker pit and stuff, he was there. Then they moved him. He was designed so you could eventually move him, but it took a day or so. He's moved behind the curtain over by the carbonite. Um, but the, the, uh, the third set was in a different studio. In fact, I think they built it all up. And then I see, I'd, not being one of the builders, I didn't help with the move. So it wasn't really my problem. Yeah. <laughs> I walk in and there he is, as usual. Yeah. In a different set. I mean, job, jobs are very specialised on films. You know, you, you do your job and everyone else does their job. And um, you're not needed. You, do, you can't go and go, do you want a hand, fellas? No. No. <laughs> Yeah. So the team, the team of builders. There were six builders on this uh, on Jabba, and all under the supervision of Stuart Freeborn. And they were the guys responsible for moving him around, setting him up, repairing the skin if it got damaged. I mean, obviously, when when he was being strangled, the the, uh, the the skin got a bit ripped up by the chain and things like that. So they were always they would have loved to have been operating Jabba. Do you know what I mean? But uh, on films, the distinction between builders and puppeteers. Uh, is quite strong. I mean, they're even different unions, basically. Yeah. So it was very unusual on Dark Crystal that some of the builders uh, were also puppeteers. Like Dave Barkley, who works in Jabba, was building puppets for Dark Crystal, um, but very rarely allowed to go and perform because he was spending all the time building. Wow. So he, he'd actually been invited to help with the build on Jabba and couldn't do it because he was still working for Jim. So he then got the job as, as puppeteer. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's uh, David's serious puppeteer. You know, I mean, his father was a puppeteer and he started making puppets when he was a kid. And so he's always been around puppets. My, as it happens, my dad was a puppeteer too, but I didn't take after him. I didn't, I, you know, I operated puppets. And I saw lots of shows as a kid, but it's not the profession I wanted to go into. Yeah. Um, and... So, so David and I knew each other because our families had known each other. And he also knew that I knew a bit about puppets. But, um, you know, Dave still, he lives in LA and he's still making puppets for films and things. That's what he does. Whereas for me, it was a novelty. I did six films in the 80s by chance. You know, I just, just got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time with the right skill. But um, 
you know, that it wasn't something I'd planned to do uh, with my life. Yeah. <laughs> We're so happy you did it, though. So <laughs> yeah. When um, I think the last Java related question, when he was on the the sail, the barge thing. Yeah. And being choked. What yeah. is are is your team inside Java just yeah, crashing yeah. around like crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we um there's there were a couple of tweaks to it. Uh Dave and I were always there to do the hands and stuff. Um the tongue instead of my hand inside it had a, a um a balloon inside it mm. so that it swells up. It looks a bit odd to me, but anyway, they, they wanted it a swollen tongue rather than a flapping tongue. Um Mike Quinn climbed inside another puppeteer, but he hadn't been on the Jabba set. He happened to be there. He he was inside with us, pushing the eyes forward to make them bulge. Mm. So this is a one-off shot. You know, you just improvise things for film. And instead of Mike Edmonds thrashing the tail around with his control, which would normally be what he would be doing, um, they they put an invisible thread on the end of a more flexible tail. So during the thrashing around, the, the tail that you see whipping about mm-hmm. is done by a different method. It's a, it's a little bit like being a magician's assistant. You know, sometimes for filming, you want to achieve a certain effect. So you have to improvise a new solution. Um, I mean, Java's tail, actually, his, his main tail has a, a gimbal and wires inside it, and Mike, Mike Edmonds would control it. Mm-hmm. But there were some close-up shots where just the tip of the tail was hand puppeted the same way as as, um, as I was doing the tongue. Okay. Uh, in the hole down where Salacious Crumb was. Um, and as I say, during the thrashing around, there was a, a visible string on it. So it's very hard, unless you're watching the sequence, to explain oh how it all gets cut together. You know, it's the magic of movies. <laughs> <laughs> so with COVID um, coming... Because you you said that you go to conventions and yeah, so with COVID coming, that I'm assuming stopped because everything kind of shut down around the world. Yeah, um, yeah, conventions. Yeah, they've stopped. I I, um, I didn't know that there were fans looking. It was only when I went on the internet in 1999, I think, mm-hmm. that I put a website up just because you know I was it was my job. I was working in the library by then. I was their computer geek. So when I discovered the internet, I thought the first thing you try and put a web page up, see how that works. Mm-hmm. Well, someone contacted me and did a uh, an interview, a written interview, uh, and they said, you know, do you know people are out there, you know, talking to the actors and so on. Well, at that point, it was mostly just the main actors. Nowadays, every everybody has any contact with with Star Wars at all can go to a convention, all the extras and everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the first convention I went to was 2002 or something like that. Um, I was astonished that people would want to buy a signed photo and chat and so on. Uh, since then, I've, I've not made a living at it. It's mm-hmm. not been like, for one or two of the actors, it's been a full-time job, you know. Um, but for me, it's been about, it's just been a little adventure. About five times a year, I would get to a convention two or three in the UK, one maybe in Germany or Sweden or something, and then occasionally an exotic one. I mean, the furthest I've been is Japan, Mexico, and the USA. But they're very rare. They're once every couple of years, if if I'm lucky. Yeah. Um, And they get get a bit 
tricky anyway just to organize sometimes just um you know because i've got dogs you know, after mm-hmm. dog sitting and all that sort of stuff but uh i do like the adventure i always like traveling which is why i did circusy uh street performing stuff in the first place so it, it was great going into europe of course thanks to brexit uh, even the european gigs are going to be difficult now yeah. we're going to need work permits and uh, visas and all kinds of you know i used to just get on a, a train through the the Euro tunnel or or get on the plane or and just go and do them. But now I'm gonna to have to think about it all. Uh yeah. so none of it's been tested because uh, Brexit happened during COVID. Mm-hmm. And um the last gig I did was in London at Elstree Studios, which was a Dark Crystal one. I had one set up for Sweden, um, which means I could have gone and visited my friends in Denmark and stuff. And that's that was the first one that got cancelled a couple of years ago now. Uh, and that was a bad sign. It was like, oh, here we go. And since then, well, I've done one or two virtual ones online, but uh, essentially the convention business is closed, you know. Yeah. Um, they've just started, people have just started going now, but there are a lot of people who are still a bit nervous about a big event. Obviously, it's a super yeah. spreader possibility. We interrupt this broadcast of Toys on Tap to bring you this. Earth 2 Aliens have landed, Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 and t shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. Toys, 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 toys. Hey, look at that over there! It's a spaceship! Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, we occasionally do private signings. Uh, every now and then you get someone who comes and you know, visits your house with a sack of photos or, or, or they send them to me in the mail or something. And I just sign them, send them back. But mostly people want to meet you. You know, they want to. Uh, yeah. Even not so much with puppeteers because selfies with actors mean more. You know, because if you're yeah. actually standing next to uh, Han Solo or something, then it's, it means something. Whereas with me, you've got to go. You have to explain who I am. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, um, yeah, people just like meeting, really. And uh, I must admit as well as the adventure of traveling, it's been great meeting fans and so on. When I very first went out, I, you know, I was a bit nervous about why would anyone want to meet me? But um, it's, it's been amazing. And over the last few years, of course, cosplays um, expanded enormously. Mm-hmm. A lot of fans now don't just turn up, you know, with their pictures or models or something to sign, but they actually participate and, uh, you know, you, you don't often see people dressed up as Jabber, so we're quite unique like that. <laughs> there are one or two Jabber, um, you know, life-size Jabber um, sculpts that, mm. that are on display, um, but they're never animated. I've, I've never seen one where you could get inside and make them work. They're really just for photo opportunities, you know. They're, they're wonderful. They're wonderful to look at. They vary in quality. Um, there are some amazing ones, uh, and there are one or two fairly homemade looking ones but uh i love the amount of work that goes into it and in terms of, just to give you an idea that particular convention was the first one i went to in america 
And while I was there, I met a guy who uh, was making origami figures, not only of spaceships, but also of the creatures. And he had an origami jabba, a little tiny one. And I said, that's beautiful. Uh, By chance, I'm the puppeteer from Jabba. And he went, I said, the other guy's here too. He went, we're making a life-size one. And they had a piece of paper, you know, yards across. So I went and got Dave, and we kept, we did, came to did a couple of ritual folds for them. And they actually made this life-size origami jabber, which wow. um, all the actors signed, and then it got auctioned off for charity. So, I, I mean, it's some amazing things happen at conventions. Do you know what I mean? From, yeah. from other people, not from me. And I get given silly things. I mean, I don't collect toys particularly, but people bring me things. Someone brought me a, a jabber that squirts water, for instance. It's not in a box. It's not in its packaging. And another guy uh, had computer printed a, a jabber, which is kind of nice. Yeah. And he just gave me one as a sample. And, you know, the program's online. If you, if you want to print one, you can. But I don't really collect them. You know, funny little things like that get, get given to me. But when they're nice things, I tend to give them away again. I, I, I confess, I don't, I don't collect this stuff. I'm just looking around here. What's on this desk? Oh yeah, when I when I went to when we went to Japan, Simon Williamson gave me his uh, gave me a Good Morning Guard. Oh wow! Um, but he has signed it to me, so I, I probably can't give it away or sell it. <laughs> Tokyo 2006. But you know, I don't know what to do with it really because yeah, you know, it's not it's not something. I... And there's even silly things happen. I mean, there's there's this there was this fantastic fan who had made this up. It made this it made a box set up mm-hmm. with a character in it of me. I mean, it's it's, it's as though I'm in a box set. It, this, this is not a real thing. It's, it's a one-off item. Um, fans are amazing. Do you, know who, do you know who made that box set? That one, uh, Robert Roberto Ignar. Okay. He's, yeah. Now I can't remember where we met. Uh, I think it was one of the American ones. I could that, be wrong. I could that be wouldn't wrong. surprise me. We do. I work with a lot of artists that, um, and I have my own toy company as well, where we yeah, uh, yeah. make one-off toys and make runs and all kinds of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Right. But, but you know, uh, they're they're amazing. Yeah, and I honestly I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and and wanting to talk about your experiences with Jabba and on the set of Dark Crystal. So if you do come out to the conventions, we'll be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm hoping the doors open again. Yeah. I, I I confess that for a year or two, um, I, I was getting a bit wary about trying to cross the American border because of yeah. before COVID, this was, you see. Um, I think the last one I went to was Evansville about five or six years ago. Uh, it was a small convention, a local convention. Mm-hmm. But the the big ones, you know, you don't invite yourself to them. They, uh, they invite you. And um, when official picks were still in charge of the Star Wars things. They were the people who got me to Celebration 3 and Celebration 5 and things. And they will organize everything. You know, they did flights and hotels and, you know, they would literally uh, do the lot. Well, they don't have the license anymore and I'm not quite sure who does. So individual conventions would have to try sort of track me down. Um, as I, I know Dave Barkley does quite a few, but he's in the States, you see. So it's relatively easy to go from LA to San Diego, for instance. Yeah. Whereas to fly me 6,000 miles is a long way for them to justify, are they going to make enough to cover the fact that it costs to get me there and you know, all that. 
I, I understand conventions uh, have their own logistics. You know? yeah. So, <laughs> but one yeah. last question for you. Yeah. Does the actual Java still exist somewhere? No, sadly not. Uh, he um, with films once they've got the stuff in the can, they they trash film sets and costumes and stuff. Um, the only reason we know he doesn't exist is that John Coppinger, who sculpted him, mm-hmm. found him thrown out in a skip at Elstree Studios under a tarpaulin. You know, he, he looked under it. There was he'd been thrown out. Now the the latex skin will rot away, mm-hmm. but the um, you know nowadays you'd put him in a in a museum, air conditioned, and you know uh, he'd be worth a fortune. John did rescue the, the, the tip of the tail, I think. He, he mm-hmm. kept it. And uh, someone told me that the eyes still exist, that some collector somewhere has got the eyes because they were quite complicated um, mechanisms. They must have been removed, I guess, from the, the main body. But the, the actual complete jabber does not exist. Um, the nearest you can get is that John had a spare skin. He had a test skin of the face uh, in latex which hadn't been painted. It was just, just the latex test. He had it in the bag for many, many years. He reverse engineered uh, a sculpted face from it. Mm. You know, he, he used the mold to, I don't know how you do it, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> he managed to make a 3D face from it. And um, the skin itself, I went to, went to an American collector, I think, who again has it displayed, but uh, it's just bits and pieces. I'd love to have my arm. I wouldn't, you know, I would just, <laughs> I would love to have just had my arm, yeah. You know, because they they were detachable. You know, when we got in, we'd put our arm out and they'd slide it on like a sleeve. It would have been nice to have that one souvenir. Yeah. But there you go. <laughs> well, Toby, thank you so much for being on Toys on Tap. Um, I'm excited. If you do come to conventions, please let I'll get us in know. touch. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And if it takes organizing, because we just had Designer Con, probably three weeks ago, two weeks ago. And if it takes help right. organizing with them, I'll shoot them over to you and we'll get that all set up. Cool. I would love to see I'm that. always up for it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Take care, man. Toys on Tap. Tap. Next episode. episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.